dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. If there's one thing that organizational leaders share in common, it's the need to know how to advance when no one else does. Being at the top means being in charge, and being in charge means making decisions that will influence the entire organization for the better or for the worse. The goal, obviously, is to make decisions well, and this ability is much more than instinct. For the ancients, they called it the virtue of prudence. I'd like to look at what St. Thomas Aquinas and his teaching on prudence have to teach us today. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad to be back with you uh, and have this chance to understand what Thomas Aquinas has to tell us about anything. (laughs) Because anytime you get a chance to listen to Aquinas, it's just life-changing. And especially when it's about something that's as important as our leadership over our families, over our companies, over our organizations. I mean, can you afford not to take wisdom wherever you can find it? Of course you can't. And the smart person knows that anywhere that they can learn something that will help them, well, that's something that they should spend time doing. And Thomas Aquinas is one of those places where you have in such a density, so much wisdom. You could almost read through Aquinas's eyes all of antiquity. Right, which is, I mean, obviously there's much more that you needed to study, go back to those sources themselves, there's value in that. But my point is, when you read him, you're reading someone who's thinking with the mind of the, of the church, with the mind of the Bible, and with the mind of civilization leading up to him. He's just an amazing place to find in one spot a way of approaching very deep questions. And I want to applaud you for coming to the St. John Leadership Network to take the time to try to get some of these deeper answers. To quote St. Thomas Aquinas himself, the slenderest knowledge of higher things is of infinitely more value than the greatest knowledge of lesser things. So we can say, well, we're kind of plunged in the lesser things because we're people of business and that's fine. I'm glad that you are. We need you to be there. But in the same way, taking the time to sharpen the saw, as Stephen Covey says, and to try to become a better person and a better understanding, every little bit that you get of an understanding of how you're doing what you're doing will have an exponential value in terms of what you're doing and producing it. So this is where St. Thomas Aquinas presents such a value for us because he gives an insight into us as workers, okay? And therefore into your people as workers. He gives us a perspective of understanding what we're doing every day in our organizations or every day in our businesses or even what we're doing in our families and understanding it from the perspective of the human experience. And this makes it possible to then bring all of the wisdom of antiquity to bear on what we have to do every day. Wouldn't it be amazing to have the, the wisdom of Plato, right? Or the, the practical knowledge that we could gain from Cicero or Homer or St. Augustine or St. Ambrose or St. Jerome, go back to all these different thinkers. What if we could compile them into a place 
that would help us every day to make the decisions that we'd have to make. Well, you say, well, gosh, that'd be just wonderful, right? Well, that's what we have in St. Thomas Aquinas. And we have it in a special way because for Aquinas, what makes him unique is that he looks at everything that a human being does as flowing from what a human being is. Now, I know that that's a deep thought right there, but it's what makes the difference. So many people I know are frustrated because they talk for, they go from one leadership conference to the next, they read one leadership book, they go to the next. It seems like there's a million methods for doing things. And so you, in the end, feel like there's no real point in studying leadership anyway. And I see there's a ton of value in what everybody's saying and all these different books are just great, etc. But how do we put them to the best use, right? We have to know how to integrate this diversity of information into the areas that we actually need to improve in. That's what Aquinas gives us. That's what a Catholic perspective on work gives us. It gives us the understanding that what we do flows from what we are. And therefore, if we can understand how we function as human beings, we'll be able to function better in everything that we do. And so an improvement in who I am on the inside and it is an improvement of what I've been given my nature and will have a dramatic result in everything that I do. And this is a way for us to integrate both our thinking of the family and leadership in the family and leadership at work. So many times people try to juggle these two balls and they say, it's just impossible. It's either the family or it's work. And it feels like I have to take away from my family to give to work or I have to take away from work to give to my family, right? And therefore they, they live a divided life. And the whole secret and beauty of what the Christian churches give us and what the Bible gives us as a vision for work and therefore what the Catholic Church proposes is that it's, you're able to integrate whatever is diverse in your life into a single unified change. I can be someone who's terrific leading my community and terrific leading my family and terrific leading my workplace if I become a leader in the very fabric of my being. Then I just apply who I am and my intelligence and my gifts and my capacities and my skills. I apply them in those different contexts and I might be better at some better than the other, but I'll be a leader in all three. And I will use each of those different domains then to help the other ones. My time at work is actually practice for my time at home. And my time at home is the seedbed for what I do in the community. And what I do in the community will feed what I do at work. And the three bring advantage to each other because all three of them are exercises of the same principle. Me asserting myself for the good of those whom I influence. That's called leadership. And if you really absorb the, the, the Catholic vision of this, the vision that Aquinas gives us, the vision that the Bible gives us, that work flows from who we are, well then understanding the place of virtues and the virtues that Aquinas himself is gonna give us here, the four cardinal virtues, especially the virtue of prudence, which we're gonna be looking at today, but you'll understand why it's so important. If I'm a prudent person, then I will make good decisions in the workplace. And those, that practice of making good decisions in the workplace will help me to make good decisions at home. It, you know, it, and, though, and being at home a prudent person, of course I'll extend that into my society uh, and into the, the culture as, as a whole. This is what's so powerful about this. Aquinas points us into a pathway to make an impact everywhere we are for God and for the good. 
And that pathway is the human person. It's our own heart and our own personal development of character. And that begins with the virtue of prudence. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So if we want to be a great leader in our organizations and a great leader at home and a great leader in our community, if we just want to be a leader, period, we need to start with developing who we are. And that development of who we are means we have to understand what it is that makes us, makes us up. What is a human being, right? And so here, looking at what the thinkers have always thought is of a special importance because today there's all kinds of definitions floating around. There are people that think that we can be a human being uh, and half robot or that think that we can change the, the fundamental structure of who we are and it's no big deal. We can redefine all kinds of institutions that are at the bedrock of what our society is and again, without consequence. And that's simply not true. You, you can't play with the very structure of reality and, and expect life to be the same. As a believer, we don't look to the prevailing culture to tell us what is true. We look to God's holy word and we look to the tradition that we've been reared in and is an understanding of that word. And we use that as the lens to then tell the culture what is true. We have the truth given to us in God's word, a perspective about life that is life-giving and that is infallible and that is absolutely wonderful. And we interpret that word within a living tradition, the tradition of antiquity, the tradition of great thinkers, but it represents at the same time a kind of boundary for us. There are certain positions and certain truths that God clearly teaches, like that our work is less than us. That's a, it might seem kind of simple to say, but it's actually a big deal, especially if you don't have a lot inside, you're going to be tempted to fill your life with your career, fill your life with your stuff, fill your life with your money, right? It, it, it's a temptation that strikes at us all because at least you can fill your life with something, right? But then the Bible comes in to say, you know what? There's something more than what you do that can define you. And if you allow my word, my truth, my vision for your life to be what defines you, you know, the, the vision of God for who you are, well, you have a treasure that surpasses anything that you could ever acquire on this earth. And, and the Bible also teaches us that the family is more important than our jobs. And again, we can, you see, we can chafe at this a little bit, especially if we're go-getters or if our family life is not going really well. And, or, you know, and we'd be tempted just to say, no, the goal of life is this or that. We are believers in God, a God who teaches us something that is also evident to our, our rationality. And if we think about it, it makes sense. You know, the real fulfillment of the human person doesn't come from our jobs. It comes from our, the way that our jobs serve the greater good of our family and of our world. Our purpose is something greater than our avocation. And there's all kinds of other wonderful truths like that that come to us from sacred scripture that we need to allow ourselves to, to relish. One of those truths is all about virtue. And here is St. Thomas Aquinas, just a great place for us to look for a nice, a nice source that condenses all of the different thought of antiquity and puts it in a Christian perspective. And it focuses us on the value of these virtues, the value of this character for who we are. And the queen of them all, is the virtue of prudence. And that's why I want to start with that 
because it helps us to understand the value of the other ones as well. We're going to look at prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Okay, these are the four cardinal virtues. It's a fancy word, cardinal. It doesn't mean a little red bird. That's the, the state bird of Ohio. No, no. It actually means a hinge. It's the, it's, it means that other things are attached to these virtues. If you get prudence, well, you're going to have a whole bunch of other great virtues that are attached to it. And if you get temperance, if you, if you get any one of these four, well, you get like a quarter of all the virtues. And so the focal point for our acquisition of virtue or, or our improvement of who we are ought to begin with saying, how do I get prudence? Now, it, it sounds kind of funny because the way we use the word today, usually prudence means be careful. It means avoiding mistakes. So a prudent person is someone who just doesn't do too much. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You know, tell, tell your kids, we're going to have a school of prudence today, you know, and the, the kids are all like, oh no, not prudence. And it's actually a misnomer, right? It's a misunderstanding of what the word is supposed to mean. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the ancient understanding of prudence, it comes from the root of, of looking at what can't be seen. The etymology of the word refers to the ability of a prudent person to see what's not obvious to everybody else. And so a prudent person is going to be a wise person, but also a smart person. It's going to be kind of that, that person that, that is able to look beyond the veil and beyond the opacity of the situation and find a way forward no matter what. This is just a terrific blessing. I mean, if you're a prudent person, you're going to be the, your boss's best friend, right? And you're going to be able to provide for your family no matter what the economic situation is. And you're going to be able to find a, navigate, a way to navigate conversations with your 13-year-old where you can actually bring out the best of them. A prudent person, in other words, is the one who sees around the obstacle and around what doesn't yet exist and is able to find the way to the future every time with pleasure and with ease. I mean, could you imagine being married to a prudent person? It'd be absolutely amazing, right? And many of you already are. Could you imagine being the prudent person, what that would mean to your spouse? Oh my goodness. I mean, if you're able, in other words, to not just get angry, not just get frustrated with the way that things are, but actually find a pathway through the things that are towards the way that things should be. I mean, you'd be like, well, it's almost like when you say prudence, you say a perfect person. And in a, in a very real way, it's true in the sense that this is the height of the moral virtues. And so by acquiring it, you acquire an impact on virtually every other aspect of your life. As a matter of fact, Aristotle used to call prudence practical wisdom. Practical meaning, think of it as real life. The wisdom of a living, so if a person lives life well, got, they've got to be prudent. And, and, or they, they have to at least live life according to the virtue of prudence, according to its influence. So it's extremely important that we understand this. Because if you're confronted, for example, in situations at work where you have to innovate or you have to find a solution, here's an example. Inflation strikes the country. Let's just suppose that that's the, that's the context that you're in. And under inflation, well, that means that you have to raise your rates and raising your rates will mean you, you lose customers. And if you lose customers, it means you have to downsize. And downsizing doesn't help the economy at all. And plus it's something that we all want to avoid because we care about our people. And then how do you recover from downsizing anyway? That's a whole nother situation. And so you look at what's going on economically around and you look at inflation, you know, going off the, the charts. 
But instead of saying, I don't know what to do and giving up, you actually are able to apply your mind and your trained virtue to the situation and find a way through it. And if you can't do that, you at least have the prudence to ask people who can. And you, you calmly look at any situation that's given to you, a failure in the family, a challenge that, of your health, a decision of where to move in the country. But you don't look at it, I guess, as one who feels disarmed in front of things that they don't know. The prudent person has acquired an ability to break the problem down correctly into, into its bite-sized pieces or into its component parts so that you know where to place your attack where to make the response. I can't solve everything all at once, but a prudent person is able to say, I can solve the most important thing that will have the biggest ripple effect and everything else. A prudent person is like someone who knows how to aim their, their rifle or aim their cannon shot, right? To cripple the enemy in the key location or to fire their arrow right into the soft spot that's underneath all of the armor of the dragon, you know, and slay the dragon. A prudent person, in other words, uses their mind in order to make a good life. It's an amazing quality. And it has three essential components to it. Okay, the first part of, component of, of prudence is your ability to take counsel. Your ability, in other words, to research and to think through what is in front of you. That, that taking a step back to analyze a situation correctly. That's a, a step that many people miss, especially in today's culture where everything seems so instantaneous. And in fact, it's not. And to study the situation, to look at it correctly, to get the right metrics, the right measurements, the right base of understanding, that's a whole practice of the mind to calmly consider things and to consider them all right. The second part of prudence is where you look at the universal principles that exist about how we should function. So this is you, of course, reading all kinds of business books and going to classes at the St. John Leadership Network and having all kinds of coaching, right? All that where you learn kind of this is how businesses ought to function or this is how my family ought to function, how our world ought to function. But then you apply it to that particular circumstance. So in the first stage of prudence, you take the time to really break the situation down to see its weak point correctly. And you ask different people for advice there. Where do I start? How do I do this? You consider those things. Then you consider the universal principles of how things ought to be. And as they apply to your particular case, this way of thinking, this understanding of, of practical knowledge is echoed even in the, the writings of Sun Tzu, the art of war, for example. And he, he gives five different aspects to any kind of, of battle plan. And he says two of them are called the, the heavens and the earth. The heavens are the understanding of how things function and what things are. And the earth is the concrete individual cases of, of how much you have and what the situation is. And the leader has to know both the heavens and the earth. Well, in the same way, the leader has to know both the principles of how business ought to function and well, how well your people are doing, how many people you have, what the morale is like in your organization, how communication really functions. And if you know those two, then you're at the second aspect of what makes prudent great. Prudent's great. You both know the, and understand the situation you also understand your particular context. And then third is you apply yourself to action at the right time. So the third function of prudence is to engage yourself 
by commanding the will into action. In other words, to engage at the right time in the right way, but to actually engage. And so those, you, you can't just be a planner and be prudent. A prudent person is a person of action. It's a practical wisdom of life. So how do we get better at it? How do we improve it? Well, Aquinas has all kinds of ideas for that too. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. I love looking at the virtue of prudence because it, it has such a deep impact on everything that we do. How do I acquire it, right? Well, on the one hand, I'd like to say, take some consolation. St. Thomas Aquinas, for example, gives an analogy for how you acquire virtue. And he says, it's like water that drips off of the, the edge of a cliff and splashes on a flat rock. After a million splashes, it has worn away the rock and made a little indent. <laughs> That's it. It's pretty discouraging, isn't it, right? Aristotle will say it takes 40 to 50 years to begin to acquire prudence in a person's life, which is why for him, he says, you shouldn't really get involved in your society in terms of leadership until you're at least in your 50s. He calls it the political age. And until then, you're just experimenting and you're trying things. But to gain the character of a prudent person takes many, many prudent acts, right? This is the old adage, you know, you fake it till you make it, right? Well, it's like that when it comes to being prudent. If you want to learn prudence, the best way is to work for a prudent person. Wouldn't it be amazing if you were mentored by a terrific business leader who taught you how to analyze things right? Like if you could have Warren Buffett teach you how to read, you know, the financial stats of a business. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that, that ability to, to say, no, this is actually what matters for this. This, in, this indication is what matters for this business. And this is the metric that we need to look at in this context. Wish, we all wish we had a mind like that, right? Or if you were be able to be mentored by someone as prudent as a saintly bishop, right? Who, who understands both the, the law of God and the pastoral need of the people at that time and is able to find a way where you don't compromise one or the other as you move your people forward. By, study, by living with prudent people, you gain a sense of what prudence is. So the very first step you could take in acquiring prudence is ask yourself, who do I know in my world whom I consider to be prudent, right? And, and you'll know that by the fact that they always seem to arrive at a happy destination. They might not always be successful. There are many vicissitudes in life. It's not a question of success, but it's a question of they seem to always land on top. Even when bad things happen, they, the bad things don't seem to affect who they are. They're, they're able to constantly turn something bad into something good. That's, that's a sign of prudence. And, and it might be that they're challenged in many ways in their life, but they find a way, whatever they're given, into that unknown, that unknown land of making whatever they're given into something that's advantageous for them. They seem to be able to find happiness. Well, when you find someone like that, it's, it's worth it to ask them how, right? And to work with them and let them just learn from them. 
So if you can find a prudent person and work with them and under them, they teach you how to use your mind in a given situation. Now, many of us were blessed by great parents and a great parent is going to be somebody who has some modicum of prudence in their life, right? And so by being reared under their tutelage, you learn how to approach life like they did. That's a terrific thing. But to make it even better, you need to engage in the various acts imperfectly. Meaning you don't acquire virtue by just imitating folks. You acquire virtue by applying yourself to the situations that you've been given in real time and being allowed and allowing yourself to make the mistakes that might come, right? It, it, but you, it's, a, it's okay to make mistakes. You actually can acquire virtue by making mistakes, but you can't acquire virtue by not trying, right? So, so give yourself in your responsibilities that grace of being able to say, I might not make the right decisions, but I definitely am going to die trying. Third step to acquiring prudence is to take the time to begin to read and study the great thinking that goes into your situation. I'm thinking about the military, for example, when you get a promotion in the military into the officer grade, you're given a reading list, especially I'm thinking of the Marines where this is well known. If you're going to lead people, you need to be an educated person. And this means for us in our positions to take the time to try to understand deeper what we're doing. There's just no way around it, but what a great invitation and what a great possibility for us because it means that your position of responsibility is actually going to push you to develop who you are in a great way. You can't, in other words, find the right way through a situation if you don't know the right way to begin with. Right. So having an understanding of business, having an understanding of ethics, having an understanding of leadership, knowing who you are is these are essential things. If you're not going to be the blind leading the blind. Right. And then what you do then do in these situations is you apply them to action, being ready to be imperfect, but trying your best, listening to others, being trained by others, taking counsel, uh, trying to find your way forward will exercise your mind by failure. There's nothing better than a useful post-mortem after a failure and going back over and asking each other, where did we break down? Because then you're going to learn and you're going to be better for the next round. Don't be afraid of being imperfect as you try and try again. By the grace of God, you're forged into someone who's able to lead and able to lead well. And this is the beautiful gift God's going to make of your life for his world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.